Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to Truest Blood, the official True Blood podcast. I'm Kristen Bauer. And I'm Deborah Ann Wool. And you've been invited in. I want to do bad things. On Truest Blood. Welcome back to Truest Blood, where we sink our fangs into the series episode by episode. Episode 108, Deb. <laughs> this is becoming your calling card, Kristen. <laughs> I hope it's not totally annoying. <laughs> this week, we're going to dive into A State of Delusion hmm. with The Fourth Man in the Fire, written by Alex Wu and directed by Michael Lehman, our punny director. Yeah, yes, our punny director. I, I don't know that I did enough puns this this episode. Mm, so. Deb. <laughs> Time. We'll see. I may have fallen short. Never enough for Lehman. Never enough for Lehman. I will never live up to his standard. Mm-mm. But this episode, we get to see into our characters' hopes and dreams, yes. their fantasies. Um, and then, obviously, in, in true True Blood style, we immediately pull the rug out from underneath them. I know. It's so painful. We also have our first instance of outdoor sex. It's certainly <laughs> not going to be the last. Oh, boy. No, we are just getting started. <laughs> we meet Ginger. Oh, Yay, my beloved Ginger. Tarabuck. For the yeah. first time, we get introduced to Vampire Eddie, played by the unforgettable Stephen Root, who shared with us all about what drew him into playing this role. Oh, it's a great interview. It's such a great interview. Oh my gosh, he's an amazing actor who has been in everything. (laughs) But before we take the dip, this week on True Blood. While Suki grapples with the idea that her first real boyfriend may have kicked the bucket, Jason is actually starting to connect with a woman on a deeper level. With Amy, it isn't all about the sex. Jesus Christ, I want to lick your mind. Let's have lunch first. Tara is also having an uncharacteristic start of the day as Letty Mae seems to be miraculously cured and perhaps ready to be her mom again. That night, Suki goes to Bill's grave, accepting that he is truly gone, only to be erotically grabbed by a dirt-covered Bill as he emerges safely from the ground, hungry for her in all the ways. Suki and Bill babysit for Arlene and Renee's kids, so Renee can ask Arlene to marry him. And Suki finds she quite likes the idea of family guy Bill. But Tara's dreams of a normal family life are immediately dashed, as even without the alcohol, Letty Mae still pushes all her buttons. Tara attempts to find solace with Sam. You know what's good about sex that people never mention? Hmm. For anywhere between five minutes to an hour, you forget your own fucked up life. But that doesn't last either, as Sam is preoccupied with Andy Belfler, who wants to know why Sam makes a habit of running through the woods naked as a jaybird. Tara takes her troubles to Lafayette, asking if she did the right thing by getting an expensive exorcism for her mother. According to Lafayette, if it's working, why question it? Compared to a lifetime of Zola, 445 is a bargain. Which has Tara wondering if she needs one herself. Meanwhile, Lafayette visits Eddie Fournier, a vampire with whom he exchanges blood for sexual encounters. But they are not alone. Jason and Amy, who are tweaking for some V, shadow Lafayette. And to Jason's surprise, Amy violently kidnaps Eddie for use as their personal supply. Bill arrives home with his dry cleaning to find Eric taking a soak in Bill's extravagant tub. I texted you three times. Why didn't you reply? I hate using the number keys to type. At 
At Eric's insistence, Bill takes Sookie to Fantasia to help them catch a thief using her telepathy. During the interviews, she finds Ginger, their spacey human companion, has been glamoured to keep the identity of the thief hidden, suggesting it is not only an inside job, but also a vampire. About to be exposed, Long Shadow the bartender leaps into the air, fangs bared, ready to tear Sookie to shreds. So, Deb, the first thing I need to talk to you about here is Mm -hmm. graveyard sex. Oh, boy. Well, most important of all topics. (laughs) I've got to ask you some questions here because Uh um, the other night I went to empty the trash. It was late (laughs) at night and Aubrey was out there and he on an impulse thought it would be fun to jump out from behind the gate and... (laughs) And, and I had a, a mini heart attack and yes. I did not feel amorous. Okay. Afterwards. I see. This you is see an important detail. I do see what you're saying. I um, screamed, I ran, and then I was, <laughs> I, I even cried a little. Uh huh. Right. So I'm curious what your take is on if I were in a graveyard barefoot. Mm-hmm. Again, I have to give props to Anna. Again, Suki Suki does a lot of walking around outdoors in her bare feet. She must mm-hmm. have very strong calluses. Yes, and where they filmed that was probably nineteen degrees, probably. So props to the actors once again. God, I love <laughs> actors. It's just on a piece of paper, you're going to have sex naked in the dirt, and it's going to be nineteen <laughs> degrees. You're going to pretend it's Louisiana, and that's how fast it takes them to write it. And then the hours and hours that go into making that a real possibility. 12 hours, basically. So what are your feelings on this this intensity of this encounter? Well, you know, it's fascinating. First of all, you know, she's wearing that cute little yellow dress, which which I recognize and you all we'll see in the season two, uh, yeah. that dress has some sort of kinky magic to it. That's for sure. A lot of sexy stuff comes, comes to pass in that, uh, that yellow dress. Hmm. Um, I mean, I do, I do think she thinks he's dead, right? Like right, she's gone right, right, there. Right, right. She thinks, man, the first man I possibly could have loved and been with and who I lost my virginity to yesterday. <laughs> Right, right, right. Or maybe, right. you know, is is dead. He's gone, right? And right, and frankly, this is someone right. she thought was going to live forever. Right. And I think as soon as she realizes it's him, yeah. that rush of, of adrenaline and excitement and relief that he's not dead probably, you know, contributes to, you know, less screaming and crying and, <laughs> and running away and, and lack yeah. of hormones and all of that. Um, right. But right, right. Uh, that's a very good point. There's something to that. Um, but mm-hmm. I do have to say, I mean, this is only her second time, you know, getting jiggy with it. And uh, there's it is outdoors. There is yes. very little foreplay. And she gets bit in the boob, which is yeah, I was wondering, quite I was like, an escalation for a young woman. Yeah. I actually rewound. I did that. <laughs> you can go back 10 seconds because I was like, wait, where does yeah. it bite her? <laughs> But I do think that's another point. Like, she does have the presence of mind to be like, don't bite me in the neck. And right. and he listens. So there's, you know, there's communication. There's yeah. all that good stuff you want going on. Now, I think I'm not going to give a spoiler here, but I think in later episodes, there's a way to not have the bite marks last. Yes, we right? do find there's sort of a little trick to it, which I'm surprised Bill doesn't offer her right at the jump. Yeah, um, once he does, she's probably going to be like, wait. It's been three seasons and you're not telling me that, which actually in True Blood time is like 11 days or something. Not really all that long. So, (laughs) Okay, well, good. I'm glad you helped me through that. Thank you. Well, you know, and and part of it, I think, helps that, you know, Bill is, you know, he's naked. He's fit. He's, you know, he's all the all the things she's looking for, Um, you know, but which is, you know, its own kind of vampire trope in its its own way. And we've kind of introduced to another type of vampire this episode. Yeah, this I I love this non-cool vampire and I was yeah. wondering Well, we were talking about Eddie Eddie Fournier, yeah, you know, we're talking Eddie, we're introduced to Stephen Root's character. St- yes, thank you. Uh, Eddie Stephen Root's character. I'm so excited to talk about this. Is this a true blood trope? Is this have we seen <laughs> this before? 
Well, yeah, I mean, we were we were thinking about it, and that you know, the original vampires were scary. You have Nosferatu mm-hmm. and those types, right. and then you have Dracula, and you know, Bela Lugosi certainly has a sex appeal to him. Yes, but it's still yes. in kind of that that realm of of creepy, scary, eerie sort of space. Right. Then you have a big gap, and then you have Anne Rice, right? right. And Anne Rice was like. Vampires are sex symbols. They're hot. They're, they're young rock stars. forever. They're freaking rock stars, movie stars. Yeah. And then I think it's after that, along comes, you know, Buffy and, and there's Blade. And I mean, Blade might even oh, right. predate. I don't know where Blade falls in with Anne Rice. I'll have to look that up. Yeah. But, you know, you have these different ideas of vampires and you're starting to get the idea. Anyone can be made vampire. It's not right. just, you know, sexy, cool, young people. It is you and I. It is everyday people. Anyone, This can happen right. to it anyone. It is your plumber. It is, like, it is everybody. Mm-hmm, and it is mm-hmm. Eddie, you know. And so I don't know that we were necessarily the first, but it's, it is still a very underused character trait for vampires. And I, I mm-hmm. really love that with Eddie, it, it wasn't like he became vampire and suddenly he wanted this extravagant wild lifestyle he is still who he was which is someone who enjoys tv and sitting at home and he he didn't feel like he had to step into some sort of persona dress he was a vampire yeah which in my mind makes him cooler than any of the vamps (laughs) i know me too i absolutely am in love with eddie you know Thinking back on my relationship with vampires, I just remembered Mm. that when I was very young, Mm. I saw a vampire movie. Now, what's his name? The tan vampire, the tan actor, (laughs) the overly tan actor. Is it George... Hamilton. Oh, yes, George Hamilton. George that Hamilton right. played a vampire, believe okay. because I'm having this vague memory. And I, living in Wisconsin, I thought he was so sexy for my 11 year old <laughs> self or whatever. And I slept with the windows open all night. After my mom put me to bed, I opened all the windows, hoping, I don't know. (laughs) Yes, I don't know that George Hamilton would come in, and I got so sick. I got a terrible cold. Oh, no. Yeah, and then the next time I saw vampires, well, I was reading the Anne Rice books. Sure. Right, and I'm sure I was picturing someone like Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt in my mind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I had seen the universal classic vampires and Nosferatu and all those. I I knew a lot about the black and white vampires. Mm -hmm. Um, But for me, the Buffy movie was probably the first modern vampire thing that I saw. And I loved that movie as a kid. And same thing. They have all kinds of vampires. You know, they are, uh, you know, uh, uh, Paul Rubin is probably the greatest (laughs) Really? The greatest yeah, vampire yeah. Uh, there could be. Uh, he's just amazing in that movie. I, see, I haven't seen that. But, you know, they do all wear leather and spikes. And, you know, there is that sense of, like, once you become vampire, you kind of give in to the lifestyle. Yeah, you matrix out. Yeah. And Eddie didn't do that. You know, Eddie didn't give in to the vampire lifestyle. He sort of maintained who he was, which is, as you know, we'll speak to Stephen Root and as you watch the show, is, a, you know, a big part of who Eddie is. I did also see the, and was in love with the Gary Oldman performance. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. right. Carrie always is in that. And yep. is it Winona Ryder? Like that, I yep. did see that. Keanu and that is, that is scary. That's yes, that scary monster. The, the original Dracula is definitely described as, as scary, but with a seductive power kind of thing. Yes. Um, but I do hope someday on one of these episodes to do a good, strong, deep dive into the vampire literature as well as vampire mythology. So. Yeah, it's really fascinating. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Yeah. Stay tuned for that. I am researching as we speak. And until then, we can <laughs> go to my favorite place. <gasps> Fangtasia. Yes, we spend a good chunk of time at Fangtasia at the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love the fact that um, <laughs> Sookie is, is so, you know, sort of annoyed at having been summoned. <laughs> right. By Eric uh, through Bill. You are mine. He didn't need to ask your permission. He cannot check me out like a library book. Unfortunately, Sookie, he can that is such a fabulous line by oh Alex Wu. The library book. He cannot check me out like a library book, which is, you know, she's right. Like it's enormously yeah. condescending, presumptuous, and sexist of him. It really is. And <laughs> to summon her through Bill. 
Right. She is summoned through Bill. She is, she's in a whole nother, I mean, gosh, this is her first boyfriend. I know. And she's in, yeah, I mean, and he's a danger magnet, man, like right away. He's a danger magnet. Yeah. And uh, that must be some good sex because she does not, she just goes. She just goes Um, with it. Yeah. But so here's my favorite thing is we see Pam in a very different light. Um, I I guess it is, it's nighttime, so it's not really Pam day wear, but it's definitely like off the clock Pam. (laughs) It's off the clock Pam. (laughs) Who is very different than on the clock Pam. You know, and we had really talked about that, Audrey Fisher and I. Yeah. Audrey had done so much work. I mean, you should have seen her Charlene Harris books, how they were marked Ugh. with different color paper clips. Wow. And yeah. And that's really prevalent in the books that Pam has this daywear look. And we loved it so much. I think that was a J. Crew outfit. Yeah. And it just turned out that we didn't get to do it a ton over the seasons, but she did, Pam, it ended up being. Because in the books, it's like knit sets, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and, and then we ended up doing it like juicy sweats, you right, know, juicy right, outfits, right. which were always my favorite days because they're I could eat and they're so comfortable. Well, I love it. For me, it's this like sex maven by night, like Stepford wife slash, yes, yes. <laughs> you know, slash uh, housewife of Shreveport. <laughs> Yes, I kind I of loved it. Sexy, but put together and very, you know, very posh kind of look to it. Um, it's just really fun to see two sides of her. Yeah, she never looked like like I do right now, like comfy sweats, <laughs> right? I shouldn't ruin it for the audience. But like, you know, yeah, yeah. Pam was always put together. Yeah, when we also we introduce the remarkable Tarabuck, who, you know, I think both of us are so grateful to call a friend. Yes. Um, She's just, you know, and, and also, oh, I love that they represent the glamoring when Sookie's listening to her, that it's mm-hmm. static. That's such a great, yeah, you know, the oral decision to do that is so interesting. Um, I think that really works. It really that. showed but, a blank space yeah. in her mind. But Tara, I mean, talk about taking a part that really could have been a throwaway, you mm-hmm. know, we see every once in a while and being so incredibly fantastic that they yep. bring you back time and time again, give you more and more to do. Yes. Um, oh, you what know, she gets to do over the seasons oh, and what how, what she does with it. And she's so funny and so oh, real and so, so funny. heartbreaking. Yeah. I witnessed scenes where Alex couldn't look at her. So he'd have <laughs> to be looking like off at the ceiling, off to the left yeah. corner of, because he couldn't get through the take. Because she's just that good. Well, I, I mean, I have a, a quick story for that, which is that I think it was a, a Paley Fest, maybe. Someone stood up in the Q&A and said, I really would like to audition for True Blood. And, you know, credit to Alan. He was like, sure, come on in. Let's see you read. And oh they gosh. gave her scenes from Ginger Sides. They gave her Ginger Sides. Oh my and I don't know, maybe maybe she read very well. I don't know what the sort of upshot of her audition was. But I do know that everyone that saw that came out and said, wow, it just really shows you what Tara does with that character. Oh, that's that, so interesting. That what Tara does is not on the page. It's in Tara's mind and heart, you know? Uh, wow. And I think that's so fantastic. You know, what a great sort of tribute to Tara to say, you know, another really good actor, probably yeah. in a different part. But for this one, it is all you. It's fantastic. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I feel like that happened for everyone, really, on True Blood, <laughs> where we somehow miraculously in this big, huge universe ended up each getting to play the roles we were meant to play. Yeah. And now for a quick bite. Movie magic. Vamp speed, a staple move of the True Blood vampire. We all get to do it, and we have a prime example this episode when Bill fast mows up the stairs of Compton House. Like all of our favorite True Blood effects, this one is a practical one, meaning it's done almost entirely without CGI. So as long as nothing and no one else in the shot is moving, the actor can just perform as normal. In this case, Bill jogging up the stairs. And then it's as simple as speeding up the film. Now, as the series goes on, we get a bit more creative. The camera can be locked off so that it's still and just roll on the background, where 
let's say we want a chandelier to move as though the vampire is running by. We call this a plate shot. Then the sped up shot of the vampire can be laid over the plate shot, making one very convincing image. Be sure to keep an eye out for all the ways that vamp speed shots evolve over the course of the show. And of course, we will let you in on all the movie magic secrets as they arise. So for our our deep dive this episode, I Mm -hmm. was really fascinated by the sort of the thesis that I think Alex Wu is presenting, which is... He shows us through most of our main characters this this fantasy, this idea right. of what life could be, sort of almost uh, fulfilling their greatest dreams about you know who they could be, what their life could be. Yes, and then of course proceeds to then show them that this is not possible, that this is not happening. Yes, um, and you know I think in Suki's sense, it's it's literally represented in a dream, right? I mean, she mm-hmm. has this this ongoing fear. I think that because of her mind reading, she can never have a real relationship. She can never have a normal life with a man. Yeah. You know, but with Bill, maybe she can have it. So she starts to have these fantasies while they're babysitting the kids and in her dreams that she's having this wonderful, normal life with him. I know. And it's so visually represented, too, when he they're sitting there at that breakfast table. And, yeah. and then he just starts turning to ash, basically. Catches and on fire, yeah. Catches on fire. And it's such a painful thing that we all deal with in all our lives. Like, yeah. how do you know that the fantasy is not going <laughs> to be real? How do you know that it was an illusion? You don't until you pull that thread. You follow that storyline in your yeah. own life. It's also, it's fascinating to me that we we literally see Sookie's fantasy and nightmare mm-hmm. in a dream sequence. Yes. Morning, dear. Bill, did you make all this? I borrowed some of your grandmother's old recipes, but the handiwork is all mine. I don't even know where to begin. Well, I would start with the biscuits. They just came out of the oven. Gonna be clear skies all day. Wait, Bill, it's light out. Yes, I suppose it is. Oh my gosh, this is reminding me of so much of my dating life. <laughs> but right, yeah, it's this, it's this perfect uh-huh. fantasy uh-huh. that quite literally goes up in flames. Yeah, and it and. And they've had this really sweet moment in real life where he says, you're entirely different. And the beauty and the tragedy of it is you don't know how different you are, which is a bit of foreshadowing. But but she says, what would you change? He says, I wouldn't change a thing. And I like that he he says, who am I to change what comes naturally to you? You know, and obviously, you know, she's talking about her insecurity with sex, but you know, I think he is also saying that about her in general, you know, yeah. that that in a good relationship, it is actually less about who makes breakfast and more about who accepts you for who you are and yeah. celebrates that. Yeah. Yeah. Which I actually think is a pretty good segue to Jason. Yeah. Because we learn some interesting things about Jason in his past. Right? So Jason's deep, dark fear and insecurity yeah. Is that he believes that he, you know, his parents didn't feel that he was mature enough to babysit Sookie when they were kids. Mm-hmm. And so they had to take Sookie to their grandmothers, which is why they were on that bridge when they died. And I think right. that trauma lives so deeply in Jason and that all this bravado, all this cock of the walk mm-hmm. is tied the fact that he is genuinely fear that he's inadequate as a man. Yeah. And so his fantasy is that someone might find him mature, you know, unlike his parents did. And then in walks Amy Burley. There's something old and good and wise deep down in you. I have to know that person. Come on, cut it out. Nobody who knows me has ever called me wise. Then nobody really knows you. I mean, that's just, it's so, 
it's so I- I- cruel and interesting <laughs> how on TV shows, right? And and I've had this happen in my own life where yeah. my unannounced deepest fantasy somehow walks into my life <laughs> and is Amy Burley, you know, <laughs> as dangerous as they get, right? Is Bill yeah. Compton and is like yeah. I see you, I witness you, I love you, I wouldn't change a thing. And then, of course, it bursts into flames. But I thought it was so funny how she says, you're an extraordinary being, and he's offended. He goes, what's that supposed to mean? (laughs) Because it's so never happened to him. Yeah, no one has really said those kinds of things to him. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, again, for all of Jason's faults, and he has plenty of them, you know, it, it is halfway, you know, moving into the second half of this season that we're digging into why he is the way he is and and we're starting to learn more about him and i think it's a you know it's a particularly dangerous mix with amy because you know we find out she grew up very privileged yeah and i'm my feeling with all of her focus on oh you're so authentic and you're Mm -hmm. you know like ooh, you you know your dirty old house that you live in and your truck and all this stuff is that yeah i think she's terrified that she's not authentic Right. That she has never lived, that she's had that silver spoon her whole life. Yes. And so she's not a real person. Right. And so mix that with her own sort of psychopathy. Yes. She has to create these extremely dramatic relationships, and you know, in order to kind of make it feel like she's living. Um, yes. She has to take a walk on the wild side. She and, does. And she thinks it's kitschy that. to be poor and, you know, so... Yeah. She doesn't really understand, but she's, they're both searching for some sort of authenticity. And it's that, it's that perfect, you know, oh, I'm going to, the scientist in me is going to, going to die right now. But you know, that like (laughs) nitrogen meets something else that just, you know, they're the perfect, imperfect match to kind of cause what happens, which is this sort of terrible violence. Yes. You know, she has this entitlement where she feels she can just take whatever she wants, even if that is an undead life. Mm-hmm. It is interesting and painful to watch in hindsight, because we now know what's happening, you and I yes. do, <laughs> and anyone who's seen the show. So in hindsight, you're going, oh my gosh, neither of them could have known. Yeah. Right? Right. But now we move into Eddie, and even you know, mm. even with a small part in this particular episode, he's also, we're dealing with this theme, you know? Yes. He has this fantasy about Lafayette, right? Yeah. I always look forward to Monday night. First heroes and you. Eddie, what fun is it being a vampire if all you do is watch TV? I like TV. Mm. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, it's so brilliant. He bought Lafayette Merlot, you know, even though... Mm. On some level, Eddie has to know that this is a business transaction. Mm-hmm. He and Lafayette both kind of keep up the fantasy, the illusion that this is more than that, right? And, yes. and it's just, oh, it's again, you know, we're going to talk with Stephen, you know, this episode about yeah. playing this role because it is so fascinating and complex and you know, Stephen is just such a incomparable actor that it comes he out is. perfectly. Yeah. Again, I really feel like the actors, the writers mm-hmm. are so brilliant in playing this fine line where we as an audience member see why they move forward with this transaction and can live in the fantasy. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Because it's just enough. It's just enough to feed the soul. Yeah. Which is, you know, again, we'll learn more and more about Eddie, but really he knows himself. He knows Mm -hmm. what he wants and what he needs and and Mm -hmm. who he is. And there's part of me that goes, I, I think... His is more a fantasy than it is a delusion. You know, in right. Jason and Amy's case, this is likely a delusion. They are yes. they are letting themselves get swept up in this. Yes. It's an illusion as well. It's yes. Like not it's even real. Exactly. Eddie like became a vampire for this. Yeah. Right. So he knows he's trading. 
he seems fairly clear-eyed about it, even mm-hmm. as he goes along for the ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Which, you know, I think is an admirable, you know, quality in this particular <laughs> yes. world. And then our sort of last one to sort of touch upon is Tara Thornton. Yeah. Um, Hers, to me, is almost the most heartbreaking this episode. It because is. It's so deep-seated. It is it's a so lifetime of, of want, of, of need. Um, yeah. You know, we, we understand that Tara has never felt this familial security of having mm-hmm. a family and someone, anyone, to take care of her. Mm-hmm. And suddenly here's Letty Mae making breakfast, doing the laundry, And Mm -hmm. she gets this glimpse of like, oh, my God, Mm -hmm. maybe this worked and maybe my mother, who I love, is still in there. And it really was just the alcohol that was holding her back. Oh, it's so painful because mom, the mom wound is just, oh, my God. It's so (laughs) deep, the mom wound. And and again, because of Adina and Rutina, we Mm -hmm. feel it in our guts as they play yes. these these roles you know but as adina shared with us uh, and in her interview the alcohol wasn't the problem you know that's right. just the root. symptom letty may's trouble is much deeper than that mm-hmm. and so it's still there and and tara you know upon realizing that has this incredible rebuff Shit. are you even listening to what you're saying you can lie to yourself and everyone else, but when you go to bed, you are just as fucked up and miserable as I am. And going to church and wearing a crazy-ass hat ain't gonna make you a better person. <laughs> she says it so colorfully, but it's the truth. Mm-hmm. It is. And, you know, I think, you know, this 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 root trouble that Letty May has, mm-hmm. she can try to fix it with alcohol. She can try to fix it with religion. She can, you know, find all of these ways. But it still leaves Tara without a family, without someone to take care of her. Oh, I know. And I think you still owe me a solution and an email from a previous discussion we had about what you do when people are oh. harmful and disappointing, but you understand the psychology of it and it, it's something they can't help. So Jeez. you feel for both of them, right? You really do. She's just really trying. I mean, my yeah. God. And, and and she's been struggling and trying her whole life. Mm-hmm. And her daughter has been neglected and abused. And this is like this one moment of how can you not of hope? Yeah. Hope something that you've craved your whole life. And then of course, writers are so cruel and sick. And then, and then we (laughs) audiences, we, we watch it. We, we love it. I mean, maybe, you know, Charlene mentioned it, you've mentioned it, that we watch this stuff because we sort of get to, in a safe way, practice these disappointments watching fiction. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's always been emotions are scary. Mm. And if we can get a little bit close to them in someone else's life or in fiction and we empathize yeah. It just means that we have a little better access maybe to that part of our life. And that's just a yes. personal belief. Not everyone has to agree with that. I know. There must be something to that. I know it works for me. I turn to fiction to help me learn how to process big feelings. Um, yeah. And I, you know, have spoken with family members and people who, who feel similarly. Um, yeah. And it's part of why I do this. I, I feel like that's in some ways the service of storytelling is to help us see the world through each other's eyes and therefore feel more confident interacting with it. There's definitely truth in there, Deb. You know, Joseph Campbell, who I love, Mm -hmm. you know, studied stories from around the globe. And what's so interesting is the themes that are represented in different cultures that could have never met. And then, you know, when I'm seeing things like this and just talking to you, I'm realizing that it does make me feel less alone in my trials mm. because someone wrote it. Mm-hmm. So she didn't, she didn't invent it or make it up out of nowhere. And then someone acted it and produced it and we're discussing it. So it's, it, it somehow is, you know, you're less alone in these things. Yeah. It's yeah. very human. It is. I think that's true. Uh, you know, there's, um, I think it's it's attributed to Anais Nin, but I think it's also in the Talmud. <laughs> but there's mm-hmm. this idea that we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. Uh, that, right, right. You know, when we're thinking about these 
fears that people have. You know, Jason doesn't see Amy for who she really is right. because this fear affects how he sees the world. Right. And for me, I've always taken that into acting work because I, if I think about myself, you know, my human experience has led me to believe that I'm a deeply unlikable person. <laughs> right. Right. And what that means then is that I put every ounce of my energy into combating that. So my mm -hmm. forward face is as nice and as approachable as it mm -hmm. could possibly be. And that doesn't mean that I'm not a nice person. But a lot of times when I share that with people, their thought is, oh, who couldn't like you? And I go, well, mm -hmm. but one came from the other, you know, part right. of the reason why I try so hard is because I'm so afraid of the opposite. Mm -hmm. I think you and I have that in common. Yeah, so I, I like looking at character that way and saying, oh, mm -hmm. this character's written is very likable. That signals to me that possibly their greatest fear is the opposite. Mm -hmm. So again, looking at Sookie, her fantasy, what she puts forward is this tough, you know, strong mm -hmm. morals personality, but maybe at heart it's because she's afraid that she's weak. And afraid that people are going to have to look after her and save her and that she's mm -hmm. never going to find anyone. Mm -hmm. And for Jason, that confidence is because he feels inadequate. Um, mm -hmm. And for Tara, again, that that anger and that pushing people away and I'm independent and I can take care of myself is because deep down she really wants someone to take care of her because mm -hmm. she never had it. And, you know, that's just fascinating to me that sometimes – the thing driving us is sort of the opposite in many ways to what we expose. Yeah. Yeah. Ditto, ditto. Yes, yes, yes. I could go on forever. <laughs> and, 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 and I, I mean, down to a meditation I had this week on my shoulder pain, mm. where one of the leaders in pain research says it's anger and that it will 99% of the time exhibit itself in people who say they don't feel anger, the nicest yeah. people on the planet. Yeah, exactly. Right? So we're the good girls. You and I, Deb, we're, we're the, the good, good girls. girls. Yeah. We're the team players. My manager says, Kristen, you're always yep. such a team player. Not when I'm playing Pam, though. <laughs> <'Cause> that's just so <laughs> much fun, right? I step into those pumps and it's like, you fuck lean you. into it. Yeah. yeah. And that's, again, part of the absolute joy of being an actor yes. is getting to lean into those aspects of yourself that you don't give free reign because it scares you or because there are real consequences yes. in life. <laughs> in yes. life, if I'm difficult, I don't get the job. I don't get the partner. I don't get the life, you know. Yes. But as a character, I can do whatever I want because that doesn't, you know, what I do in scene 20 doesn't change what happens in scene 33. Right. It's so wonderful, isn't it, to step Step into those shoes in between action and cut. Yeah. I honestly could feel what it was like to not give a flying fuck about what anybody <laughs> thought. Oh, I Except that. one person, just Eric. Just, just Eric. <laughs> and he just liked who is, me. Who is the ultimate doesn't give a fuck what anyone else thinks. Yes. So. <laughs> I know. And you got to be this terrible teen. Yeah. Which I, you know, I was the shyest, quietest you know, kid there was because of all of the bullying and everything. I just, I shut up for a few years. That was literally my response to that. Wow. And so to be able to go back to being a teenager and be the opposite of that, be loud, be annoying right. and be like, that's okay. Right. right. Like, I don't care if I annoy you. I still have value, you know? And, and oh, I don't know, there was so something great. really empowering about that. <laughs> yes. We're not there yet. We've got a couple more episodes to go, but it'll be really fun to keep talking about all this. Yes, yes. Likewise, we're going to see both Pam and Jessica be a pain in the butt. Oh, yeah. We're, we're excellently very, very good at being pains in the butt. <laughs> but let's talk to another consummate actor uh, who can tell us all about his process and uh, why Eddie was such a great role. I'm completely intimidated interviewing an actor. You know, we've been interviewing people who do Me jobs too. that we don't do. <laughs> oh, we're, so we're pretty dumb, really. We're pretty dumb. <laughs> we, other people tell us what to say. They write it down and we say it. And sometimes we screw that up. So that's, but that I is wouldn't helpful, worry about isn't it. it? <laughs> 
Well, thank you so much for coming to talk with us about this show, which sure. I think for Kristen and I is probably one of our top you know, pieces to be involved with. Um, yeah, no, it's a great it's, show. Great, it was it's been such a treat watching the first season and watching Eddie and really what you know. You I'd love to, to rewatch character. the first season. That's a that's a great idea because at that time, um, I didn't know Lois Smith, mm-hmm. mm. and uh, we later got to do a play in New York together uh, called Marjorie Prime. Yeah, it's a beautiful little play at Playwrights Horizons. And so I got to know her there, although I'd known she'd done, you know, the, the grandma on the show. I didn't know her. <laughs> and now I know her pretty well. And we ended up doing another Alan Ball project called uh, Uncle Frank. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. So that. it was a nice full circle thing, you know. Tell us about this role, Eddie. And yeah. And when you read it and how this all happened. How did it happen? Did you did you audition at that point or was that uh, a, hey, I we love you? And... it was an offer because uh-huh. it scared me when I got it. No kidding. Uh, yeah, it scared me. It said, oh, this, I've not, not done that before. Mm-hmm. Um, not done an uh, on-screen kissing before. I yeah. think I, I oh, had wow. one, one more. I had, the only kiss that I had done was Rue McClanahan and, Golden Girls. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that was about it. Oh, it's Golden Palace, not Golden Girls. Okay. Gold, it's a little bit of a gap there. That. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's like, oh, this, this is, this is, this is, this would be incredibly interesting. I'm r- nervous to do it. So yeah. that's, that was the first reason to do it. It's because I was nervous to do it. I should do it. <laughs> that's my uh, strategy as well. If it makes me nervous, I'll do it. Yeah. Not having yeah. played a, a gay character at that point, it's like, yeah. this is great. Okay. Well, okay, let's let's just deep go. Let's go. Yeah. Let's see what the script is like. What would your body do in this? And I yeah. think the first time I, I flitted down the stairs and threw my head back, I was like, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready to be Eddie. <laughs> well, you got um, to do your first scenes with Nelson, who, of course, we have oh, not Nelson, stopped raving him, about. Oh, so God yeah. bless him. Um, I loved working with him. He was one yeah. of the best actors I've ever worked with easily. Yeah. Yeah. M- one of the most talented by yeah. far. Um, yeah. It was like working with Lois, you know, the, yeah. the 110% all the time. Uh, so, yeah, so I think he was, wow. he was more afraid of the kiss than I was when we were, <laughs> we were going to do this big kiss. Uh, uh, and and we we did it very technically first. Like I'm going to go sure. this way, and you go this way. <laughs> and yes, we'll, that's what and you we'll, do. Yeah, it's it was really interesting and cool. And then I found out that men have a lot bigger mouths than women do. So it was <laughs> a different true. experience kissing <laughs> kissing a guy. So it was oh. fantastic. But it's it was, such it was like a learning it? experience yeah. all the way around. It was great. Yeah, um, well, so, it's such a like great I said, I was a little, relationship. Yeah, yeah, a little scared to do it, which was good because yeah. that's what you want to do. You want to walk the line a little bit sometimes. Yeah. So that was. But good it is. For it's me. it's a delicate relationship, Eddie and Lafayette, and it, yeah. to see the hope for something more in your eyes, but also the acknowledgement that this is transactional. As sweet and gentle and lovely as Lafayette is, yeah. You know, knowing that it isn't really real. <laughs> no. Uh, no, but it's, I, it's fascinating. Yeah, it was. God, your character is so wonderful. Oh, it was beautifully written. I was going to say we know who Eddie is so quickly because you say <laughs> you said you liked Merlot, and he goes, "I said I worked at Merlot's," <laughs> and then he turns down the Bangles song, the Eternal Flame song. Oh, yeah. right, right. I mean, oh, just this goodness. is the most unlikely vampire. <laughs> Well, that's what was good. That's what was yeah. exciting about it. It's like yes, completely out of the realm of anything I'd done up to that point. He was such a sensitive but weird guy. I mean, yeah. you, you had empathy for him. Yeah, you, you really know, did. Immediately and even all, all the way up to the end. Yeah. Yes. Well, you're uh, sort of almost set up to feel sorry for him in mm-hmm. the beginning. But I think something else ends up happening, which is that... Yeah. You end up gaining such a respect for him. And my favorite scene of Eddie's, of yours in True Blood, is is the one with Ryan, with Jason. I, I love where, that scene. 
yeah. you're right. Well, you're you're becoming this male role model for him, even though you're the one <laughs> tied <laughs> up. In. Yeah, yeah. But it's really beautiful, and it, it's it shows that even though Eddie might not have the super strength or the glamoring abilities that we've sort of associated with all powerful vampires, he has these other strengths, which is he he knows what to say to Jason. To work well, him, and it, really, it's so he, beautiful. To work him and and to open him up, yeah, absolutely. yeah, to re- to connect to him, mm-hmm. yeah. I remember very much that uh, uh, lounge chair that I was yes. strapped to. I think I had I had vinyl lines on my back for a couple of days. <laughs> I know. I'm very surprised. Oh, that was that was uncomfortable, but but that not to un- the point of not to the point of yeah. anything. Yeah, but it was. Well, and you tell me, I had to do a couple of scenes in True Blood where I was, you know, tied down, and it's yeah. somehow harder to act when you can't move. I you know forget. I kind of liked it because it was you just liked it okay. my head. Yeah, because it was just. <laughs> You had to do everything. It was like almost animation because you have to do doing everything with your head, mostly. Yeah. You know, your body still moves around when you're doing animation and you're playing the character. But in this, you're you're I, that wasn't going anywhere, and so it was kind of <laughs> cool to just have this fourth wall because sometimes when I when I'm doing a character and I don't have glasses on, um, I'll do a, a mono. Um, uh, contact lens thing, so I have kind of a, uh-huh. a fourth wall, and in that huh. I, I took one out and went, oh, this is nice. I'm in this fourth wall, and I can come in with you know to close yeah. to to do acting stuff. So I, I I use that sometimes the fourth wall of my very short sighted vision as an acting <laughs> tool. <laughs> Interesting. You do say this is so beautiful. I'll cry. The writing is so beautiful. It says comes a point in your life when you realize everything you know about yourself is just conditioning. It's the rare man who truly knows who he is. At least I accomplished that. Yeah. Oh, that's a beautiful line. Yeah. I don't remember it specifically, but it was such a beautiful stuff that I got to do, which is another reason to do it. I mean, the script, the script and the people. Were you, were you given everything? Did you know Eddie's backstory and, and you know, all of that right from the start? Or was some no, of that I had, I, I, I didn't, because I didn't uh-huh. talk to Alan about it. We, we, we talked about it later, and Uncle Frank said, did we really, mm-hmm. you know, discuss backstory and all that stuff with the guy? And he said, I don't think so. I think we gave you a fairly sketchy thing <laughs> just so you know what you're doing. Right. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think there was a full background on it, no. Oh, wow. Interesting. The theme for episode 108 is sex, fantasy life. Fantasy self. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And your Mm -hmm. making really fits into that. You're talking about made fun of your son or something. And it's Mm -hmm. like because your dad is gay and you didn't deny it. And and Ryan asks, you know, why didn't you deny it? You say, well, I didn't know that it, it wasn't true. You know, I didn't know. And then... You decide to be turned because you see a guy who's like you, who's getting all all the dudes, <laughs> and it's interesting, right? So it, it's interesting. It's not that how, it isn't selfish in in some way. It is. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. is. Well, and also, it's the first time I think, at least, we've heard a story of someone who elected <laughs> to be a vampire. Yeah. So far, it's all been sort of non consensual making. <laughs> um, so yes, it's a really fascinating story of someone who chose their identity. Yeah, it's so interesting because then he he's such a human vampire. I mean, he just stays at home and watches TV, <laughs> and then and thinks about guys. Yeah, and thinks about and guys. thinks about guys. So his life yeah. didn't change a lot, which Lafayette comments on until, but yet he gets Lafayette because he can exchange for his sexy blood. Right. Well, that was the whole reason to, to start. Right to get me was to find. Yeah, it. and then. And, I mean, there's so much sex and fantasy around this vampire who's not living that life that he wanted to live completely and then dies because of it. And it just got me thinking, and I can't, you know, many years after the show, after seven years of being on it, I'm like, yeah, why are vampires so sexy? <laughs> like, vampires are always sexy. It's the fantasy. And I guess yeah. it's the immortality. But this show even made the blood 
but an aphrodisiac or Viagra. It, it's the kiss and or biting of the neck, I think, that's so sexy. Yeah. It's one of the, one of the components of that. Alan yeah. talked about the sort of theme for the whole show being the terror of intimacy, um, that it can be mm-hmm. so terrifying to be vulnerable. And, of course, being bitten on the neck specifically during sex is such a perfect physical <laughs> manifestation oh, yeah. of yeah. terrifying intimacy. Uh, yeah, so, I, you know, I think I think I see that even with Eddie and Lafayette, though, that there's this kind of, even with that kiss, maybe some of that nervousness that you as actors felt bleeds through and reads beautifully because it has all the weight of what that moment could mean to them as as men, as characters. Sure. absolutely. Um, I, I, it's really... I, it, it's a, it's a really lovely moment um, to watch and sort of feel. I always feel my heart kind of flutter at that moment because I I want yeah I want Lafayette to love Eddie the way Eddie wants him to love him. Right, right. And you know it's not going to happen. Oh yeah, it's hard. It's uh, he does his one. best, you know. Lafayette he does his says, best. I'll he take care of you. Tries tries to provide the fantasy for Eddie, yeah. even though they both kind of know. I have to go back to how lovely he was as as an actor i really do yeah he's just incredible there's some people that really stand out i think everyone i think actually i say that about every scene don't i deb i'm like oh gosh ryan is so unbelievable oh deb is so amazing oh my gosh and i'm texting her oh i'm gonna do a special thing on anna and you know i guess that the people who came and guested and did arcs we sort of noticed the most because we did get used to each other. Well, on on anything, you're as you come in as a guest actor, it's it's you're you're entering a family, and, yeah. and they're already you know very close, and you're yeah. kind of worm your way in to say, um, <laughs> you know, let me let me be part of you for a little while, and I'll see you yeah. again. But it's yeah, it's very much a family feeling when you're doing a show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Eddie's arc is so interesting. Um, because in so many ways, because I started looking at Lizzie Kaplan thinking, okay, she's clearly a psychopath, but... Well, she had she had done this before. Ryan had done it. I mean, you find yeah. out that she had done this yeah. before, correct? Yes. And she just yeah. sees vampires as another species as not alive. So they're not... It's really kind of a common prejudice that we all have towards whatever... Mm-hmm. you know, towards the rainforest or what have you, <laughs> you know, where we don't, we compartmentalize. Um, a friend of mine who's trying to stop vivisection on animals, mm-hmm. um, she has been working on this for years, and she was at an, an FDA lab where they're torturing beagles forever for oh. no reason. And oh. when they went to dinner, her phone rang, and she's next to one of the scientists doing this, and it was a picture of her dog that came up on her screensaver. And the woman goes, wow. oh, what a cute dog. And she goes, want to see pictures of mine? <sighs> so she's torturing dogs at work and uh, going home to her dog. Yeah. Uh, and we all do this in so many ways, unexamined ways. And, and so I thought, gosh, I don't know that it's interesting because it, it, we've, we've all got a little psychopath in us if we're doing this yeah. on some level. Mm-hmm. We can all no, Google what you. we're harming with our purchases. And okay. so I started just thinking, is it just prejudice? Well, it's all a piece of it. I mean, I you know, the yeah. writing helps there as well. She refers to Eddie, you know, in the third person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. She thanks him like he's a plant. That <laughs> While they're having sex. Yeah. You know, and you go, fuck you. Writing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, it's 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 a it's a particularly blatant, bold faced kind of prejudice. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I hadn't thought of it that way, but that yeah, I get mm-hmm. it. And because we all do compartmentalize stuff. Uh just we to get do. some to get through daily life sometimes, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you don't you see, yeah. you know, somebody uh it's it's like seeing somebody without a mask in the supermarket. You know, you yeah. gotta compartmentalize it and go, I wanna go run up to this person and, and help them, but uh, right, you got to compartmentalize it. Uh, well, I right. think about homelessness, and I go, man, if yeah. I really took that in, yeah, I would if never I, stop. I would never go anywhere. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I couldn't go to sleep because I couldn't live with myself. Because I couldn't yeah. live with the fact that I do nothing mm-hmm. about that. I walk yep. past that every day, and I do nothing like that. 
shatters me if I were to actually allow myself to embrace that truth. You got to get through life somehow. Yeah. Somehow. Right. Um, right. So, you know, hopefully you find other ways, soup kitchens, whatever it is to that help, you do yeah. to kind of mm-hmm. help. But but if you if you, we you, all you do put it. it into your we life, if you let it, it sink into your life on a daily yeah. basis, that would be a different experience. It would. Right. And I think there are people who must. And so they become full-time activists. And I, I sure. have I nothing that. but <laughs> yeah. the ultimate respect and admiration. Because uh, I don't know that it's something that I have the constitution for. Yeah, um, I agree. I uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I I know my my wife is very empathetic to a lot of mm. causes, uh, and probably more so than me. Mm. But you still have to compartmentalize them to be able to do your work, get through your life, and and help your family. So yeah. it's it's a real <sighs> slope. It's a it's a tightrope <laughs> to walk. It really is. Well, you know, loving that a you know what was sort of a soapy, fun gothic romance series can have a strain of that at the base of it. That mm-hmm. we're also talking about big issues, questions like oh, that, yeah. While watching Lizzie Kaplan and Ryan Quanton <laughs> fake having sex on a mattress, be naked. It's so oh funny what goodness. we do, man. I was tell- so I, I was looking at IMDb this morning just to to look at some of the the plot points of the episodes and i said yeah wow this reads like a soap opera <laughs> it does. Like, it reads it's like not a, a... a really cool soap opera but yeah it, it all the elements of a soap opera are in it i agree i i think i think in a in a very kind way i don't i don't think that that's a an, inappro- an inappropriate <laughs> and, and i'm not not in a put downish way yeah it's at just all that, that it's that that's yeah. an element of uh, of it I agree. Uh, it was just so cool to be in that world. Yeah. And uh, um, I just thought everybody was so incredibly professional doing their, mm-hmm. doing whatever they do, because it takes a village to make something, you know, something that lasts that long. Yeah. So amazing. And yeah. it was. This was incredible right. to talk with you. Thank you. Oh, yeah, thank we were you. so excited Please. you were. We've been willing. watching you over and over and over again the last <laughs> couple of weeks. So I can't help you there. <laughs> you guys are great. Thank you for letting me do this. It was very fun. Oh, thank you. This is uh, people are going to be so excited to hear from you. Oh, very cool. I, so I, I don't know whether this will make it in the cut or not, but I'm a ginormous news radio fan. It's my favorite sitcom. And so speaking with Stephen Root today was a very exciting yet nerve-wracking <laughs> I know. He, it was, I was so nervous even writing the questions for I him. Know. But I mean, here's, I mean, what's really incredible is that, you know, we talked about the comedy, the drama, the the kitchen sink realism to the genre Mm -hmm. work, right? Mm -hmm. He just seamlessly fits into all of these worlds. And he is who I want to be. He is the actor that I aspire to be. And so speaking with him today was a tremendous privilege. It was a huge privilege and terrifying and just... Uh, amazing you know with all the other interviews i could just be fantastically curious about like how do you make a set this i felt (laughs) i don't know like i was six i know i know (laughs) what an amazing guy really i'm so glad that he agreed to talk with us and i love that you said ginormous (laughs) i guess is that not a word is that like just a a millennial colloquialism (laughs) Is my millennial showing? Is that the issue? It's literally a word. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, next week on Truest Blood, we're uh, getting into the nitty gritty. Uh, Mm -hmm. We actually spoke with Michael Arbogast. He was the special effects foreman, and he gave us the uh, BTS on all that blood. (laughs) I love these BTS (laughs) <laughs> I, I know what that means. Sometimes with you, you young do. kids, I have to Google these things. <laughs> We're also going to dig into the minds of a few of Bon Tom's most troubled and dangerous denizens. 
then we'll have Carrie Preston on to help us understand the human perspective. Oh, I can't wait to hear what she says. It's such a complex character. I know. Well, thanks for listening, Trubies. Subscribe and follow wherever you listen to your podcasts, and we'll see you next week. Y'all come back now, you hear. Truest Blood is produced by Safe Haven for HBO Max. Executive producers are Janina Gavonkar, Kristen Bauer, and Deborah Ann Wool. Our producer is Gabrielle Gallon, and our audio producer is Christopher Wool. Our theme song was recorded just for this podcast by Jace Everett. Additional music was composed by Timo Chen. And remember, you can watch all of the original episodes of True Blood on HBO Max. is coming back and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Aniello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show like Hannah Einbinder and Jean Smart. Hacks Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max.